0: references and our practices. We pick and choose how we do, how we worship Jesus. We pick and choose what we say, how we how we go. We pick and choose our time frames based on our comforts. In so many ways, some cultural Christian culture scholars have said we've taken the gathered Sunday worship and placed it on the same level as your gym, as Pilates, as yoga, as a hike. As a football game, it's the same. And Paul goes, no, 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 no. You can't pick and choose this. It is different. It's important. The gathered worship and should come across higher than the thousands of options that we're faced with. Gathering together with other believers is an important part of your faith. And this is where I usually get the pushback, Brad, you're being so legalistic. I know, I might be. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. You're right, you don't. And you don't have to be in water to be a fish. But when a fish is outside of the water, things don't go well for that fish, right? Amen. You could be a Christian and be living life solo, all by yourself, on your terms. It might be going good from what you're thinking, but you're missing it. Things don't go well when you're far apart. Paul says in many parts of, the, of Scripture, don't forget to gather together in worship. It's not, it's not essential, as they say. It, it's not, the Bible doesn't specifically uh, uh, expect every Christian to be a part of a community, whether a Sunday or a small group. It's not something that is expected for your faith. It's even more than expected for your faith. It's assumed. It's like you get a job, you're assumed to show up to work tomorrow, right? That's part of the job. If you're a Christian, it's assumed that you're a part of a gathering of believers. That's an essential part of your faith. And it's one of those things that Paul probably thought this is a no brainer, but it says it dozens of times. The idea that you could be a Christian and not be involved in a gathered community is wildly unbiblical. Here's just a couple verses. Hebrews 10.25, don't stop meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Romans 12.5, we form a body of Christ. Each member belongs to one another. If we are a body of Christ, let's use the body metaphor. We're one body. What happens when our arm doesn't show up? What happens if your foot's not there? What happens if your liver decides to take a walk? It doesn't go well. Paul's assuming that the body of Christ comes together. First Corinthians, we do form one body. And each part of this body has a part to play. You're gifted, you belong, you serve, you give back. And there's t- dozens of other scriptures. There's 1 Peter 4, there's Thessalonians 5, there's James 5. All of this points back to even the biggest example. Jesus. When did he do most of his miracles? In the temple. Because he was going to his church to belong to his community, to offer his sacrifices. If Jesus, who had the ultimate get out of church free card, went to gathered worship, went to temple on a regular basis, shouldn't we? If it's not here, is it something in the middle of the week that has you surrounded by other believers? Paul writes this to a group of Christians who were being persecuted, who didn't have anybody else to lean on to, in order for them to grow in their faith. The purpose of Sunday is just that. It's to, it's to come together, not to give you a Jesus buzz, to make you feel good about going to church but rather it's to awaken you and draw you towards the God in your community to push you towards pursuing the same God who pursues you. Showing up on Sunday, showing up to a midweek gathering is a discipline. It's also an opportunity to take yourself out of the center of your faith and put yourself in the rightful place as making it about what Jesus is doing and what Jesus has done and what he's going to do. We are captives in this parade. And the parade is about him. This is our place. And it's not to shorten your view of who you are in Christ. Christ has very high language about what he thinks of you. You're valued, you're a saint, you're loved. We went through that all last week. That is who you are. But because of that, we join him in his parade at the back of the parade because all of this is about what Jesus has done. So that's your place. This is where we belong. Judah would say, why do we go to church? To remember who we are and what Jesus has done and to awaken us so that we can live into the reality that Jesus has for us. This is why we gather. The next question is It's a similar, it's a similar reminder. What's the purpose of this? Have you ever been to a place where when you leave the place, you come away smelling like that place? Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's wonderful. When you leave a coffee shop and you come out smelling like coffee, it's great. It keeps you awake. Sometimes you come out smelling like places that don't smell that awesome. Uh, I grew up, my parents were in a bowling league. Uh, it's weird to think about, but they were. I remember they had their own bowling balls and their own bowling shoes. And it was like, wow, that, I, I was thinking about it last night. It's like, wow, they did that. I would go every Friday. I'd go bowling with them, but I wouldn't bowl because I was too, too young to leave at home and my brothers didn't want me to go hang out with them. So I would go to the bowling alley. Dad would give me about two rolls of quarters. And I would take those rolls and he'd say, go, don't, don't bother us. And he'd hand me these rolls, and I'd go play video games for hours while they bowled. The thing was, Regal Lanes on Tustin Avenue in Orange, California, it had a no-smoking and a smoking section. And it was back in those days where it's like the smoke saw the wall, and I go, we can't go over there. (laughs) The whole place smelled like a casino. So when we came home, we'd smell ourselves, and we'd smell like we were swimming in an ashtray. It's sometimes good smells uh, follow you. Sometimes, when you've been around some bad smells, they follow you. And it's like, wow, that stinks. This is what Paul is getting out here. He says, look, when you gather together with believers, when you come together, when you've spent time with Jesus, you're going to pick up some of the odor that is around you. You're going to start to smell. Look what he says. Thanks be to God, who leads us as captives in his triumphal perception and uses us to spread the aroma of his knowledge everywhere. Now, that word everywhere means Everywhere It's topaz. It's every place. Everything that you can think of. He uses you to take his smell everywhere. Have you ever smelt something someplace that triggers your memory? And you go, oh, that smells so good. Uh, when uh, I was training, I did four marathons back before I got smart. And I would run uh, on this, this trail that would go on a riverbed in California. And there was two in and outs I would run by. Horrible. When you're running and you're miles away and you smell the in and out and you have six more miles to go and then you're going to hit another in and out and then it's another three miles and you're starving and it doesn't go well if you eat in and out and keep running. And, and so, but it's this idea, this smell, you pick it up and it's like, oh, I know, I can just taste it. This is what, uh, this is the image that Paul is getting. Triumphs had a smell to them. There was flowers that would adorn the buildings. There would be rose petals on the ground. There would be sacrifices being made. There would be incense because people in those times, smell was an intricate part of their worship. The incense would rise up and either they would please the deities or they would not please the deities. We see this even in the Hebrew faith. In, In Genesis 8, Noah sacrifices after the flood and the smell is pleasing to God. There's also times in in the Old Testament where the sacrifice is made and the smell is not pleasing to God. And so when Paul talks about a fragrant aroma, he's talking about the worship. And when you leave this place of worship, when you spend time in a gathering group, when you spend time with Jesus, you pick up the aroma that God has and you take it with you everywhere you go. The smell gets on you and people notice it. So, what's Jesus smell like, right? That's the question that Judah be asking. Well, what's it smell like? What does Jesus smell like? When you spend time with Jesus, what changes in you? How do people know that you've been spending time with Jesus? I think one of the smells that Jesus has that our city is in desperate need of is the smell of hope. Look around. There's no hope. The drug crisis, absence of hope. They're looking for something they can put in their veins or in their system to alleviate the pain, to get them into an altered mind so the pain goes away, so whatever they're in, whether it's emotional, physical, so that they can have hope again. Chasing hope. People. I, I talked to a man who lived in a, uh, one of these uh, tent camps, And I was talking to him at the grocery store and I asked him, what do you hope for? He goes, I've given up on hope. He's working, he's trying his best to work. I got no hope. He doesn't have hope. Talk to marriages or people who are married and about their marriage and they're losing hope in their marriage. They're losing hope in their children. People are losing hope all around them and Jesus comes and if Jesus is about anything, he's about hope. When you lose hope, you don't have anything to live for. When you lose hope, you just want to die. You just want to continue on this path. There's nothing left to live. But Jesus, when he walks through the streets of of the towns in Israel, what happens? People who were hopeless were given a chance to hope again. They pursued him. You have the, the leper who comes, who, who comes with nine of his friends and he comes forward and says, Jesus, if you're willing. And Jesus was. You have the woman who had been bleeding for years who comes and she's going. This is her last chance for hope. You see in the scripture in Luke that she had exhausted all other hopeful uh, scenarios. All the doctors said, we, we don't know what to do. Carry around this egg for 10 days. See if that helps. That's what they were doing. That was her hope. But she says to Jesus, and to herself, if I just grab onto his garment, maybe then that's hope. All through scripture, all through Jesus, what does he do? He brings hope. And then when people come to him, when they walk away from him, they are completely different. In John 8, one of the funnest uh, scriptures in John, this man is blind since birth Jesus heals him from the blindness and he goes in front of the the religious government and he says, Jesus, or this person, the Messiah, healed me. You should meet him. He's given me this sight. Do you want to meet him? You're asking me a bunch of questions about him. You must be infatuated with him. So why don't you come meet him for yourself? I was blind. Now I see. I don't know how it works, but this is my hope. When people around us lose hope they aren't needing a fix or a handout what people need is the hope of christ that can change everything christ and paul says this is what it is about us in you is the hope of glory we carry a hope with us that's what we should smell like when people spend time with you they should walk away going wow i have hope now and you take that hope everywhere Look, if you're hanging around Jesus for any length of time, the point is that we walk away differently, that you walk away changed. If you haven't changed in a while, perhaps we need to walk a little bit more with Jesus. Jeremiah says in one of his uh, prophecies that made his prayers that we would walk in one gate but not walk out the same way that we would walk away and leave a different person and out of a different gate. And that's my hope for here. That's my hope for your times and your gatherings. That's my hope for any time you spend time in the Word is that you would walk away from a diff- in a different way, that you would walk away changed those who are being grasped by the love and power of the gospel and who are responding in it, the smell is sweet. And Paul says it means victory. It means joy. It means hope. It means peace, even in the middle of present troubles it doesn't mean that the, that the troubles leave. It means that in the midst of the troubles, we have a presence of Christ surrounding us with us. And as Hebrews 13 says, on the far side of those troubles, we, uh, the hope is on the far side of those troubles and we are anchored to that hope. The hope gives us an anchor for our souls. The world needs hope. The world needs the smell of Jesus, and that's our purpose, to be the aroma of Christ that floods everywhere. Tomorrow, when you go to work, you are the smell of hope. Turn to your neighbor and say, you smell like hope. Go ahead. Even if you don't, you smell like hope. Hopefully you don't smell worse than that. When you go, you are the smell of hope to your co-workers. You are the smell of hope to your spouse. You are the smell of hope to your children. You are the smell of hope to your gathering group. You smell like hope. Y'all stink. And that's good. Last thing that Paul says. Has anybody got another word for a move that starts with a P? Who? Who? Am I saying that right, Diego? Proceed. Proceed. Okay. All of those move. Paul says that we are not about anything else. We are about a movement that's happening. Look in verse 17. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those who are sent from God. Here's what Paul is addressing. The Corinthians were very much about image. They were very much about what you look like, how much money you had. And so they see Paul, who comes to this church. And where does Paul spend most of his time? In prison. Shipwrecked. He doesn't have a eight-figure job. He's not the most status-driven person. And so they would look down on Paul. And so Paul, in a a way here, is, is defending himself. He's not preaching so that people would pay him. As some in that culture would do, they would come and stand on the corner with a new idea and they would charge for it. Uh, there's a Greek word for them, Spermopolis, which means seed spreader. And and they would just pick up little ideas and they would throw it around and and then hopefully they'd get a gathering together, or people would follow them, and then they, they would say, Oh, I have more wisdom, and then they would give them all sorts of money. And Paul says, I don't do that. I'm not in this for my own gain. I'm not in this to to lift my own name here. I'm in this because of the movement of God that we are about. We serve the move of God. We serve the prana of God or we serve the processional of God, the parade of God. This is what we're about. It's going back to his, the place where we are. The move of God is what Paul is thinking and from the beginning of time there has been a movement of God coming to earth. God comes to earth in Genesis. And all we see through Scripture is a God who is here, who comes from heaven to come for, to here. He sends Jesus to put on our clothes, to wear our skin, to walk on our, our streets, because God is always moving towards us. God is always moving to capture that one more person to come into his parade He died. Jesus comes, dies on a Roman cross, rises again in order to keep that movement going. And since then, God has sent his spirit to move in us, directing us, guiding us, gifting us, empowering us so that God is still on the move through you in each of these specific places where we are now. Wherever you are, God is on the move. God is on the move tomorrow in your workplace. God is on the move on your way home. God is moving through our homes. God is moving through our schools. He's moving in our businesses. He's moving through traffic when you're not. He's moving at the park. He's moving in all of these places as we gather together so that when he is on the move, we can join him in what he is doing and join his movement and continue his movement. God is the first mover. You, can't, you, you, you say that uh, you can't move. Yes, you can. All you do is respond. All being a part of the movement is, is responding to the move that you see God doing. You don't have to start anything. We simply respond to what God has already done. You're not taking Jesus to work with you, Jesus is already there. He's been there long before you got hired. You're joining the movement that Jesus has already started in your workplace. You're not taking Jesus to your classroom. He's already there. You're joining what Jesus is already doing. You're not taking Jesus to the grocery store. He's already there. And you just join in with what he is doing. We end we are entering a season where I feel strongly that God is moving in some mighty ways in and around us and I want us to be ready to join him in his movement. And I feel that the only barrier to accomplishing that is us saying I don't think I can. Oh, you can. You've been gifted, you've been empowered, you've been placed so that you can join in in his movement. All you have to do is say, I'm in. I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of this movement. And then the hardest part is stepping forward. I taught Judah how to do the monkey bars the other day. He does them better than me. And he would just hang there. As long as he can, because he was scared to let go and grab the other bar. But finally, if I'm, I'm barely, I'm not even holding him. I just have my arms around his feet, and then he goes, "Okay, I'm going to try." And then he says, "Superpower, Judah." And, true story. He is a superhero, and, uh, and and he he decides he's going to reach and grab. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, I'm just present with him. I have my hands in her in case he falls. Right. It's him saying, I see where the next move is supposed to be, and I'm going to reach for it. And until he reaches for it, he's just wasting energy hanging onto the bar. It takes more energy to hang there than it does to actually move. Courage is what was lacking. The courage for him to reach out and grab. And I feel that with a lot of us, that's what's lacking in our faith. God might be calling you to a new reality and in, in faith. God might be bringing you out of what, what used to be this season and bringing you into a new season. And what is lacking for that and for you to move is the courage to take the step, to reach out to the next bar. Don't be afraid of falling. He's going to be there to catch you. He's not going to let you fall and hit the ground. If anything, he's going to grab on tighter and help you make the next move. We are joining a movement, God. We are placed in the back because it's about Jesus. We smell like the like Christ. We smell like hope. And then we're moving forward. We serve the movement of God. We don't come here for our own ego. We don't come here to look good for our own image. We come here for the sole purpose of of Jesus and his movement in our city to invite people to hope, to invite people to a new reality that there is hope in their world and it comes only through Christ. That's why we're here. That's why we celebrate communion today and not last week because it's a reminder. When Jesus said to the disciples that night, whenever you gather together, remember me. This is one of the ways we remember. We look, at the, we look at the juice. We look at the bread. And we remember that Jesus says, this is my body. And he breaks the bread and says, whenever you're together, remember this. Remember it's about me. And this is my blood. Whenever you gather together, remember this. Remember it's about what I've done to conquer death. Not just so that you can have an afterlife of peace. That's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. Most of it is so that you can have hope in the present day. This is why we gather for this. And so today we're taking communion as a reminder that it's about, first and foremost, the movement of God. The movement of Jesus towards us so that we can aid in his movement towards others. Jesus goes through a lot of stories to tell how far he would actually go to save just one. We are the ones, but there's other ones who actually need Jesus too. So uh, as I pray, I'll invite the communion servers to come down. And then as will be two stations as we take communion, there'll be one here and there'll be one over there. Go to the one that's closest to you if you want. Uh, all of this is gluten-free. Uh, I don't know of any other health things that we need to go over. But uh, how we do communion here is you take a piece of the bread and then you dip it. And then you could could eat it up here or you could take it back to your seat if you would like to worship and contemplate. I do ask this, before you come, Paul asks us that we, uh, there's a couple steps that we need, that we should check on ourselves before we take communion. One, make sure that you don't have any issues with somebody in, in the body of Christ, that if you need to apologize, if you need to have a conversation Schedule that, have that conversation before you come forward. If there's anything uh, of, of sin in your life, act, do the prayer that I ask God to examine you and confess the sin before we come and take communion. Those are the only two that I ask, that we take time to pause. And then during the whole thing, I pray that we remember. So would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that it's your parade that we're in, and um it relieves a lot of stress because it's no longer about what what we do, what I do, but it's about what you've done. And so, Lord, as we stop to remember all of that, would we be reminded of our place in the back of the parade, where we put our agendas to, to bed, put our agendas down, as Paul says, May we die to the old way and live into the new way, which is about you. Lord, would we put on the clothing of hope around us so that when people come near us, they smell something different and they're drawn to you. And God, it's not about what we look like. It's about what you look like. You're the reason we're here. You're the reason we celebrate. We thank you for your death thank you for your resurrection that brings us all new life that you in us is the hope of glory in Jesus name when you're ready come